Well, friends, a warm welcome to you all. Uh, you in the Lucis Trust Library for this full moon meditation in the sign of Scorpio with its keynote, Warrior I Am, and from the battle I emerge triumphant. And also a very warm welcome uh, to you who are joining together with us over Zoom and Facebook. It's especially lovely to sense our group cohesion and purpose this afternoon, and it's inspiring to realise that there are countless groups around the world meditating at this time, all as part of a conscious planetary serving group. We know that this work, this intense meditation, is motivated not just by a deep love of humanity, but a love of the whole world too. Not only that, but also a love of that vortex of goodness that is rippling throughout our whole planetary life, and which we call the plan. And finally, we know that we are all united by a real desire to serve in whatever we, way we can at this really difficult and also momentous time in world history. As I'm sure you're all aware, these particular meetings and the talks that set their note have been going on for many decades. And the annual cycle we make through the varying energies of the 12 signs of the zodiac is resulting in an ever finer group response to the possibilities that the different signs offer our planetary life. Here they can stimulate us all as a group to manifest the virtues of right love, right thought, right speech, right action, and to help precipitate these energies in a positive way into the minds and hearts of all humanity, so paving the way to building right human relationships. It seems to me that we're actually faced in the world by an increasingly polarised sense of values. On the one hand, there are those who seem to be focusing hate, selfishness and separativeness. They are a small minority, yet they are clearly a very powerful one, as world events show that are unfolding before our very eyes right now. On the other hand, there are the vast majority of people in every part of the world who want the best for everyone who know that practical goodwill and the sacrifice of selfishness is the best way forward to a better world. They are steadily and continuously giving of their time, their love, their creative imagination and their personal resources to help make this happen. It's interesting to note how the Tibetan predicted the present turn of events with great accuracy in his book, The Rays and the Initiations. He talked about the fact that when the right time came, the Christ would begin in a new and more intense way to overshadow the minds of all disciples and initiates in the world. This would result in the stimulation of their natures and of their environment, and that this would inevitably lead to conflict. He also asserted that the outpouring of the stimulating love of God into the hearts of all people who can respond to it positively 
must equally and inevitably also produce conflict. He wrote that the line of cleavage between people of goodwill and the unresponsive natures of those uninfluenced by this quality will be made abundantly, usefully and constructively clear. And how true this is today. He continued that it will be obvious also that when the Christ establishes the centre or focal point of the divine purpose in some definite place on earth, its radiation and implementary potency will also produce the needed conflict which precedes the clarification and the renunciation of obstructions. So we will now pause for a moment to contemplate the energies of the will to good, of love and of practical goodwill that are right now pouring into the planetary centre which we call humanity in this sign of Scorpio, ever the sign, as we know, of tests and trials. Let us understand that they are helping humanity not only to recognise these obstructions, but to work to neutralise and to redeem them. Then we will sound together the words of the mantra of unification. Properly used, this mantra is not simply a prayer. It is a powerful affirmation of our will to choose the way of love and right relationship and consciously renounce the way of hate and separateness. So we say together, the souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Thank you. It is interesting to note how often the 12 labors of Hercules have been used as the basis for these full moon talks. They are such a very fascinating collection of myths that exquisitely address the timeless challenges that constitute the path of discipleship. 
This means that now they are all of particular relevance to humanity as a whole. For despite outer appearances, humanity is now becoming the aspiring world disciple, with all that this connotes of a slowly manifesting love, of a sense of spiritual purpose, of an emerging desire for the good of all, and for us this afternoon in Scorpio, of the recognition of the need on the path for the precipitation of tests and trials and their eventual triumphant surmounting. While the majority of these labours are not really well known, there are two which for centuries have maintained their useful grip on humanity's psyche. One is the myth associated with the sign of Aquarius, Hercules's cleansing of the Augean stables. In general terms, this will have particular relevance during the world's and humanity's forthcoming 2,000-year passage through this sign. The other is the slaying by Hercules of the Lernaean Hydra, and this is connected with our present sign of Scorpio and the great opportunity for spiritual victory that comes with it. As the name implies, the Hydra is an embodiment of the element of water. It is a snake-like monster dwelling, according to the legend, in the swampy area of a place in the Peloponnese called Lerna. In folklore, this place was believed to be one of the entrance portals to the underworld. The symbol of this myth could not be more obvious. Water is ever the element that expresses the fluidity, the ebb and flow of the desire nature. We say that someone is swept by desire, swept off their feet. Of course, when water flows along a consciously chosen spiritual path, it is healthy and life-giving. We then call it the water of life, which in Aquarius is poured forth for all who thirst, as Aquarius seed thought expresses it. But when the flow is blocked, water becomes stagnant and diseased. This gives us a vivid image of the stagnant pools of unredeemed desire. This is where the hydra dwells, drawing the unwary aspirant into its clutches. In psychological terms, it is the embodiment of all the accumulated evils, the misplaced desires, the selfish thoughts, the instincts to sadistic cruelty, the messy mistakes and failures that have been made during the long history of the many incarnations into the material world that each of us has experienced. It's actually interesting to explore the many modern incarnations of this myth. A quick Google reveals that Hydra is actually a popular video game. But more seriously, many commentators on contemporary events use it as an illustration of the various human dilemmas. For example, here is a perceptive quote from Dr. Christina Shori Liang. Terrorism is like a hydra which sprouts multiple heads. We can attempt to destroy the threat with kinetic power and drone attacks, but the real battle lies in the battle of ideas. Then there is this insightful paragraph from The Hydra-Headed Crisis by David Held, Mary Caldor and Danny Quar. 
They write, We are living at a time of successive crises. No sooner does one crisis disappear from the headlines than another pops up in a different part of the world. We argue that all these crises are interconnected. They are all, in different ways, the expression of something more fundamental, a transformation of our social, economic and political relations, of which growing communications are just one element, and the failure of our governing institutions to adapt to this transformation. In the 20th century, the nation-state and the bloc were the mechanisms for managing social, economic and political relations. Trust in our institutions was in a large part based on the fact that we believed that they had the will and the capacity to cope with crises and to manage risk. Now that crises transcend borders, we have lost confidence in these traditional mechanisms, yet the kind of global arrangements that are required have still not been constructed. This is the central paradox of our time. The collective issues we must grapple with are increasingly of global scope and reach, and yet the means for addressing them are national, weak and incomplete. These can be seen to point to the central discovery that comes from Hercules' labour in Scorpio, that focusing on the symptoms, cutting off the hydra's many heads, only makes matters worse. For every appearance of a problem that you destroy, suppress in other words, more will appear somewhere else. We have to deal with the cause, not so much the symptom. And the cause is to be found in the body of the hydra, whose hidden forces are nourished in the polluted environment of the murky, diseased, astral darkness of the Lernaean swamp. In the esoteric tradition, there are nine of these heads in total. These represent the nine principal distortions of the unredeemed personality, three for each of the material planes. On the level of the mind, it is suggested that these distortions are pride, separateness, and cruelty. On the emotional level, they are fear, hatred, and ambition. On the physical plane, they are an unbalanced preoccupation with sex, an obsessive love of comfort, and the selfish accumulation of money. This portrayal of bad characteristics presents a pretty grim prospect to us, for we see them displayed in the world all around us. Yet the Tibetan joyfully affirms that Scorpio is above all the sign of triumph. Warrior I am, and from the battle I emerge triumphant. So how did Hercules deal with these problems, and how did he triumph? His initial failure prompted him to remember the counsel given by his teacher at the onset of this labour. We rise by kneeling, we conquer by surrendering, we gain by giving up. So Hercules put down his sword the instrument of the separative mind and of suppression. He knelt on the ground in a sign of true humility, and with his hands, and hands are the instruments of healing and creativity, he lifted the monster in its entirety high into the light of the soul, the source of all goodness, 
and the embodiment of reality. Then the power of the hydra evaporated and it died. So how should we, as part of a group of disciples, approach the challenges of Scorpio, which lodge in the dark corners of the mind of humanity and which express themselves today in the multitude of problems in the world? The Hercules myth tells us that as long as we go on seeing them only as a multitude of separate problems, we will fall into the same trap that Hercules fell into. We will continue to deal with them piecemeal and find that no sooner have we apparently dealt with one than a score more will appear in its place. We need to get to the underlying cause behind all the problems on the three material planes. This will be the main body of the Hydra. This is what we as disciples, both individually and together, have to learn to recognise and then lift up into the light of the soul. If we recollect for a moment that the nine distortions represented by the nine heads of the Hydra, they're all effects of the sense of separateness, the separative personality. Alice Bailey once remarked that if one must insist in talking in terms of sin, there is really only one sin, and that is the sense of separateness. This has to be countered or forgiven by visioning, creating, and building right relationships. In other words, by lifting up the body of the hydra, or the sense of separateness, into the full light of the soul, then it will automatically become de-energized and fade away, just as the darkness disappears when we turn on the light. We then discover that the monster was in fact a distortion of reality, that evil is really the misapplication of what is intrinsically good when properly perceived and manifested. This brings us again to the idea of Scorpio being above all the sign of discipleship. The Tibetan describes Scorpio as the great constellation which influences the turning point both in the life of humanity and the life of the individual human being. It is the sign where the prodigal son, realising that the depths to which he has sunk, determines to arise and go to his father, as the New Testament parable expresses it, or as we might put it, determines to express the higher values of the soul, to become sensitive to the plan, and thus begin to express the will of God through loving activity in form. As soon as we have brought the spiritual intention uh, through into our physical consciousness and are starting to express it in some way in our lives, then something momentous happens. We start to resonate to the seven great and unavoidable life rhythms which the soul imposes on the personality. These rhythms or soul laws include the law of sacrifice, the law of group progress, and the law of service. The law of sacrifice is focused at the very core of our being. We are told that as souls, we chose to die, or incarnate in form, in order to help in the great process of redeeming planetary substance, of transforming the material form, of redeeming the hydra so that it can truly become a vehicle for the life of the soul. It's interesting to note in this respect that the ray energy governing the law of sacrifice is the fourth 
ray of harmony through conflict. This same ray is the major conditioning ray of humanity as a whole, the fourth king in nature. And it is also the major energy that governs Scorpio. Does this not tell us something about the spiritual purpose and the goal of humanity, the world disciple, and also about the opportunity we are presented with as a group at the time of this particular full moon? This brings us to the need to think for a moment about the law of group progress. This law is one that we are only beginning to sense and experience, and this for two reasons, I think. Firstly, humanity is only just beginning to recognise that beyond the demonstration of the power and inherent divinity of the individual, there is another higher goal, and that is the contribution of the many individuals to the integrity and life expression of all the various serving groups. We still exist as individuals, with our own friends and families, responsibilities and lines of service. But added to this, and as a major focus of our lives, we also participate in a united group service. Group service has its root in meditation work. Its vital function is in the ability, not just of the individuals comprising the group, but of the group, whole group, as an entity in itself, to stand in spiritual being. Groups can thus form immensely strong anchor points within the consciousness of humanity, providing that rock steadiness of spiritual principle, as well as a constant wellspring for those spiritual ideas and energies that are always so necessary, but especially so at our particular time in history. As a group, we serve. As a group, we step forward on the way. And as a group, we help humanity as a whole to step onto the path of return. The second reason for the relative newness of this law of group progress is that it's governed by the seventh ray, which, as we are all aware, is a new energy, at least in terms of human experience. The third law or rhythm of the soul that I mentioned is the law of service. Now, service, the spontaneous effect of soul contact, is above all other qualities the hallmark of the disciple. So what are the characteristics of the true server, the true disciple? As might be expected, and in the great tradition of Mahatma Gandhi, the first quality is one of harmlessness, with its great power of the example of dedicated, loving and effective work. The second great characteristic is a willingness to let other people serve as seems best to them. From this point of view, our efforts will be focused on two things. Firstly, in helping others to stand in spiritual being, as the phrase has it, just as we are learning to stand ourselves. And secondly, in helping a person to serve in their chosen field in the way that they know is right and not as we as onlookers think it should be done. And the third great characteristic is joyfulness. Joy is not the same as happiness. In the direst of circumstances, Perhaps especially in these circumstances, joy can uh, transform our consciousness, sometimes like a lightning strike. It gives us the strength and confidence we all need 
to enable us to keep on keeping on together in our discipleship search for light and truth. We discover the unredeemed facets of the human psyche and transform them into assets of the soul. It's interesting to learn that in her 1937 lecture about Scorpio, Alice Bailey wrote, The true Scorpio test never takes place until one is coordinated, until one's mind, emotional nature, physical nature are functioning as a unit. Then the man passes into Scorpio, where his equilibrium is upset, and desire seems rampant when he had thought he got rid of it. He is fluidic and he had thought he was balanced. The mind, which he was quite sure was beginning to control his personality, does not seem to function. What an image of modern humanity. What a picture of the task ahead of us all. Yet we remember with gratitude that the outstanding characteristic of the aspirant to discipleship is endurance, and the sign that calls for the utmost endurance is Scorpio. So as we go into our meditation, let us hold in the forefront of our mind three things. Firstly, the energies and forces powering the tensions and suffering in the world, which can and must be transformed and turned to creative use. Secondly, the vision of a better future that is constantly being developed by world servers everywhere, including ourselves. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, let us remember the constant overshadowing loving presence of the Christ and the planetary hierarchy, who are willing humanity to succeed. With God, all things are possible. So now let us go into our meditation. Letting in the light. Group fusion. We affirm the fact of group fusion and integration within the heart center of the new group of world service, mediating between hierarchy and humanity. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates Reach and encourage them.
alignment. We project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the planetary heart, the great ashram of Sanat Kumar, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy. We extend the line of light towards Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known. Higher interlude. Let us hold the contemplative mind open to the extraplanetary energies streaming into Shambhala and radiated through hierarchy. Using the creative imagination, we endeavor to see the three planetary centers, Shambhala, Hierarchy, and Humanity, 
gradually coming into alignment and interplay. You reflect on the seed thought for Scorpio. Warrior I am, and from the battle I emerge triumphant.
precipitation. We use the creative imagination to visualize the energies of light, love, and the will to good pouring throughout the planet and becoming anchored on earth in prepared physical plane centers through which the plan can manifest. We use the sixfold progression of divine love. From Shambhala, through hierarchy, focus through the Christ, the new group of world servers, people of goodwill everywhere in the world, physical centers of distribution. Lower interlude. We refocus consciousness as a group within the periphery of the great ashram. And we say together, in the center of all love I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Visualize the downpouring spiritual inflow released from Shambhala through hierarchy, streaming into humanity through the prepared channel. Let us consider for a few minutes how these inpouring energies are establishing the pathway of light for the coming world teacher, the Christ.
distribution. We're going to end our meditation by sounding the great invocation as a word of power. We visualize the outpouring of light and love and power from the spiritual hierarchy through the five planetary inlets of London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva and Tokyo, irradiating the consciousness of the whole human race. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, Let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Well, thank you all very much. Now, next meetings. The next full moon is Sagittarius, which is on Sunday, the 26th of November at three in the afternoon. And uh, then there is the World Goodwill Seminar, 
which is at 2 p.m. on Zoom on Saturday the 11th of November. And its theme is Human Responsibility in an Age of Transformation, Forging a Moral Direction in Science and Technology. And it looks a really exciting program, so please all tune in to that. And finally, the full moon tonight, the actual time of the full moon is 9.24. Thank you. Thank you so much.